What's up, Derek? my party and I'll cry if I want to. Hey, how are you guys doing out there in Wrestling Geeks Alliance? Um, I hope that everyone listening just now was just normal listeners. and uh, Not that I don't want new listeners, but that was embarrassing now that I look back on it. Anyways, uh, we have another episode today of Wrestling Geeks Alliance where me and my wonderful co-host uh, Christopher Brother Ray Patton will be breaking down everything uh, for pro wrestling this last week and having a great time because it's my motherfucking birthday and I am 34 years old and I did it. I didn't get hit by a, a, a some type of lightning uh, or hit by a steamroller or maybe eaten by a pack of piranhas. But none of that happened to me. I made it. I did it. So to celebrate and talk about wrestling, here is my co-host Christopher. How are you doing, man? Doing great, man. Happy birthday. In the immortal words of Connor Oberst, it's your birthday. And we love you very, 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 very much. <laughs> How are that's, you doing, that's, bud? That's all I need is some bright eyes lyrics. People are going to think that we're really emo because I'm pretty sure on this show last week I brought up the dashboard lyrics. Unless that was one of my other shows. Maybe I do that on everything. They all believe together. So. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, dude, uh, I've had a pretty good weekend for, um, Thanksgiving. I watched The Irishman, um, which was very, very fucking long, but a really good movie. And, um, you know, I'm going over my, uh, sister's house and, uh, I'm going to have some fun tonight. So, uh, but I'm, I'm actually really excited, Chris, because even though we've, you know, we've been talking here and there, uh, through messaging and, and whatnot, I've been, I've been looking forward to talking about some of this stuff. So, Let's uh, strap in and get get ready for a uh, another enticing episode of a Wrestling Geeks Alliance. How does that sound? Sounds great, man. All right. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the highlights on Raw and SmackDown. Uh, I was saying to you before we went on air, I think that the Chicago crowd, um, if they were rich enough and um, had enough energy, they got a bunch of pretty good shows. Uh, I thought that SmackDown, we, we talked about it last week, had a pretty decent showing, um, you know, based on SmackDowns normally. I'll, I'll just put it that way. I thought Raw was pretty good this week. Had some uh, good moments, like the uh, Seth Rollins heel turn, but we'll get to that. Um, and uh, I thought the, the pay-per-views were both great. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed AEW, which was all in Chicago within one fucking week, which is pretty crazy. Uh, if you did all that and you're a listener... Good for you. Uh, we're going to send up a, uh, a Patreon account uh, soon. Um, actually, if you want, you can just Venmo me some money. I'll give you guys the information for that <laughs> if you want it, I'm just saying. Um, but anyways, uh, let's get over to some of the stuff that happened on Raw. I would say there's two matches that, uh, you know, the, the four-way leading up to the, the match between Ray and AJ was pretty good. Uh, but I think that the AJ-Ray Mysterio match, I want more of that. And I think that was 
the whole point of it. And I think that the KO versus Seth Rollins match, we're definitely going to see more of that as well in the future. So I like both of those matches. Segment-wise, I think the big thing, Chris, that we can kind of talk about by itself and then go over some of these other things uh, was Seth Rollins and his heel turn. And he basically came out, he he was uh, (laughs) kind of referencing the whole rah-rah speech thing. Uh, had all the uh, the raw uh, locker room out, and even though he lost in his match, uh, even though he's the last man, but he lost for the raw. You know, raw lost the most at Survivor Series. That's something that we'll kind of go into uh, with NXT winning the most, and then SmackDown being uh, number two over Raw. Um, he just kind of berated the uh, the locker room, uh, said to Charlotte, "You know, you call yourself a flair. You led these ladies. You got eliminated before the end of it." She leaves, uh, he calls out Randy Orton, and, you know, just kind of just gives him the works. Uh, he leaves, just going after even Rey Mysterio for losing to Brock Lesnar and allowing him uh, to just come and go as he pleases now and not getting that title off of him. And so the whole locker room gets pissed off, and this seems like definitively, to me at least, that this is a heel turn, that... Seth is kind of channeling 1997 Bret Hart and kind of flipping everything on its head. Um, A lot of the stuff that was kind of rumored back then and a lot of the reception that he was getting with the audience outside of Canada kind of turned Bret Hart heel during that time period. And lo and behold, to end it, you know, it kind of makes a lot of sense. Seth channeling 97 Bret Hart to an extent. We have his Kevin Owens slash Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I thought Owens handled that at the end. You know, he kind of, like, just went off on him because of the fact that he teamed with NXT the night before and got too comfortable, uh, you know, not going after an NXT person with that frog splash and then getting eliminated by Tommaso Ciampa. Uh, but with Seth, you know, he, he, he basically called him a piece of crap. I don't remember the exact wording. And then tried to apologize for it. Kevin Owens, before he'd say anything, gave him a stone-cold stunner. Uh, pretty classic situation. But I think this is actually the best thing for Seth Rollins. It looks like even though he was talking crap to them, AOP will be involved some way with Seth Rollins. But still at the end with the match, it was kind of weird how he seemed kind of flabbergasted by AOP helping him out. Also, to note that Finn Balor was trying to do this exact same scenario in NXT, and now they seem to be doing it with Seth Rollins. I also like the, the thing that happened on SmackDown, Chris, to add to this how – the Miz, even though I didn't like any of that crap, but one of the things he kind of brought up, the fact that, like, look at Finn now, look at Seth. There's darkness inhabiting them from going against the Fiend. So they're kind of, like, putting it all together, or at least they're trying to, WWE-wise. But I do like Seth Rollins going towards a heel direction. I said that he's better as a heel. But there's still people questioning whether or not this is a heel turn. And I told our friend Jeffrey Taylor, Jeffrey Show Live, definitely check him out, guys. Uh, he's at some big convention right now, so I have a bunch of interviews. But Jeffrey Taylor, Jeffrey Show Live, uh, me and him were talking about this, and I said if, if WWE isn't turning Seth heel and they somehow fuck this up, this will prove even furthermore how we say that they don't know what the hell they're doing because this seems like a perfect <laughs> thing for him to go into, for him to kind of get his, his piss-off nature, some of it warranted, some of, a lot of it not, obviously, online and stuff like that. But him being mad that the crowd kind of, just said fuck you to him and now he has a chance to kind of turn that and spin it on its head like I said so do you like this heel direction do you like that Kevin Owens is going to be the opposition on Monday Night Raw it seems like and we're going to see the two of them have probably now that Brock's taking a a vacation until Royal Rumble 
uh, the top feud, I would say, uh, going on the product with other guys, you know, potentially in the mix like AJ Styles and stuff like that. So there's a lot of good stuff as far as the top uh, guys on Monday Night Raw. Yeah, I, I liked the segment itself overall. I, I, you know, they called out most of the big people on the roster to uh, to run down, and, and definitely got the. Re- I think the biggest reaction of him running people down is when he said, "Maybe you're not the Rey Mysterio we all grew up loving," and the fans just started chanting "asshole" at him immediately. <laughs> um, that was like a big part of that segment, and then obviously, you know, Kevin Owens hitting the stunner at the end, kind of cementing the fact that he's. It seems like they're going back to that he is the person fans should get behind because he is the everyday man, kind of your blue-collar guy, which is what they were going to do originally before they decided to uh, go with the Kofi push prior to Mania. So it seems like they're trying to get back there. Um, As far as turning Seth heel at this point, it makes the most sense because the fans are booing him anyways. the way that they booked him put him in a very bad situation, as we talked about on previous shows. And now the only place they really have to go is to turn him heel. My only problem with it and how I could see fans not necessarily knowing if this is a full-fledged heel turn is he didn't wrestle as a heel at all at the end of the night. He just had a normal-ass Seth Rollins match, like to the point where he was still trying to get the crowd behind him with Burn It Down. and uh, So that was fucking a little weird. But outside of that, yeah, I really enjoyed the uh, hill turn itself. And then as far as, like, the darkness thing with Bray Wyatt, like, uh, (laughs) like, I don't think that that has anything. How they're trying to draw the connections there doesn't make any sense unless they're going to turn Daniel Bryan heel, and that SmackDown doesn't need a heel right now. There's, like, a bazillion of them, and there's, like, not one true babyface, whereas on Raw you still have I mean, you have Kevin Owens and Rey Mysterio Jr. who are both baby faces. I would say coming out of, uh, you know, the, what Kevin did on NXT in an NXT War Games, he's probably the second biggest baby face in the company right now. So you don't really have anything like that on SmackDown outside of Daniel Bryan. So it'd be weird if they, if they go that route. So I don't even know why they even attempted to tease that at all. Yeah, uh I could definitely see what you're talking about with that. I just, I like this direction for Kevin Owens. Um, I think people like him. I know that his three favorite wrestlers growing up, I've heard him talk, it's kind of obvious, through his style or through his personality or whatnot. It was Steve Austin, Owen Hart, and Shawn Michaels. And it seems like he draws a lot from all of them in different places, whether it's heel or babyface. But I feel like Kevin Owens, and he's kind of, not called himself out about it, but he definitely thinks that there was a lot that Dusty uh, kind of taught him uh, throughout the course when he was NXT, and it, this feels like he's trying to go for because he doesn't come off as as like Stone Cold at, at all to me. Like he's more of like the working class man type of concept, or he's trying to you know be that guy to represent the people or whatnot. And I hope he doesn't, like, lose a little bit of his comedy elements. He just still remains as himself and doesn't try to go, I guess I should say, too Steve Austin-esque. Like, I don't want this to be a rip-off thing where they're just going for 97 Brett versus Austin with the double turn. I want them to kind of breathe new life into it. But I actually, with Seth, I kind of, in a way, like them trying – like, he believes in his head 
because it's so warped that he's doing the right thing. So this slowly kind of even makes him more heel, or this is all bullshit, and, and he's going to flip it and just be more sinister uh, from the end of it. Though Maybe I'm expecting too much from WWE. Yeah, I think that's my thing is I have kind of tempered expectations on this. I think Seth is a great heel. And, um, you know, when he had the run with Triple H and he was the universal champion after beating Brock, I thought that was a good heel run. And they didn't put him in a good situation to succeed over the past six or seven months. So so to me, they got to run with this. I did think it was uh, – it seems like there's a lot of thought going into it. For instance, like Becky Lynch was not out there at all, even yep. though she technically lost. Um, so it's, you know, they know that they need to protect her. And if they associate her with Seth and Seth is turning heel, then it could backfire on Becky. Um, so it seems like there's some thought going into this. Uh, I think they're going to stick with this a little bit and probably do the storyline with Kevin Owens. I don't know what that means for Kevin Owens. And it's not like either of these guys are going to get a title shot out of these matches. That's the other thing. Um, I think you kind of – we were talking about it a little bit before we get, came on air is that Brock is just going, going to be gone until Rumble. So your top title kind of becomes the U.S. title, which seems it's going to be – at least for a little bit, Club versus Ray and, and Dominic would be my guess is where they're going with that. Yeah, I could definitely see that. All right, well, we had a, a couple other things that happened on Raw before we move to SmackDown. Um we had probably out of this terrible storyline that's so fucking cringeworthy, probably the funniest, I would say, scene to come out of it with Crazy Rusev just going absolutely apeshit and trying to murder Bobby Lashley while laughing maniacally uh, throughout the course of the whole entire thing. And, you know, Lana just going apeshit. And uh, good to find out that Lana, uh, you know, signed a new long-term uh, contract. It was reported that Rusev was still negotiating. I hope he got whatever money to do uh, this type of shit. Uh, when you look back to a year and a half when Rusev Day was <laughs> at the height of his popularity. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, but anyways, it's still keeping them, I guess, uh, relevant. Uh, I already said a- AOP returned. They had a squash match with past champions that no one cares about now, apparently. Um, Ray beat AJ for the U.S. title. We kind of talked about that in reference. The whole build-up <laughs> for that was pretty good with everyone coming out. I thought the four-way was fun. And I thought that Ray versus AJ, we want to. I, I want to see more of that. I want to. I've been wanting a feud between the two of them, so it makes a lot of sense. And uh, Oscar beat Charlotte, so uh, that was another thing that we're going to have now. Oscar, this is so random and stupid. For the tag team titles, we're going to have Becky and Charlotte because obviously you tag team them together against the Kabuki Warriors, Oscar and Kari Sane. Uh, it should be a good match at TLC. I'm not saying that good TLC tag match. But I don't know why the fuck Oscar, or not Oscar, but uh, Becky Lynch and Charlotte are put together. I get that Oscar's pinned both of them, but why don't you give her like a title match? Anyways, doesn't matter. Chris, those are the other notes uh, from Monday Night Raw. Do you have any comments on any of those things? Yeah, I, I think Rey Mysterio Jr. is absolutely on fire. Um, even coming from the promo, like all of his promo shit that he's been doing the past few weeks leading into the Brock match, the match with Brock at Survivor Series, I thought was really good. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, but I actually like that match a lot. And I like what they're doing there. Um, AOP versus Ryder and Hawkins. I mean, that was like a two minute squash match. So it was, it looked good. Uh, they hit, what, what is it? What do they call it? The double collider or the last chapter, whatever they're calling it now. And then that was kind of it. Um, yeah. So AOP beat some podcasters. That's what I put in my, 
<laughs> putting my notes here. Um, uh, the the uh, the only other thing I would point out is I thought Andrade, uh, Andrade and Akira Tozawa had like a good two minute match, which sounds crazy. It was kind of a squash as well. We got a lot of squash matches on this show. That was the that's the one thing I will say about this, and they were right in a row. Um, the AOP match was two minutes. The Andretti match was two minutes. The Buddy Murphy versus Matt Hardy match was three minutes. Um, so the entire first hour is Not almost broken, like Matt an Hardy. old school. Yeah, just regular ass Matt Hardy 2.0, I guess. Um, I, I did like the. I liked the Rusev kind of losing his shit. There was that cool dive he did towards the end where he was handcuffed and hit this like crazy looking. Uh, I don't. I don't even know. I mean, I guess it was kind of a spear, but it. I mean, it was almost like a side cross body or something, um, off of the stage that looked really fucking cool. And then him kicking the lights over and stuff. That's the first cool thing they've done with this storyline is actually making Rusev look like a monster instead of just embarrassing him week after week. So hopefully, you know, once we get past that pay-per-view, they'll do something with Rusev. What I'm afraid of is either A, they'll drag the story out longer, or B, uh, it'll end and then they won't have anything for Rusev to do. But it does sound like that he's probably going to get re-signed. Um, I'm surprised considering the past two years of him bitching about things on Twitter, you would assume he would be ready to leave. So I don't know. It would be really funny if Lawner resigned and then Rusev signed somewhere else. Like think about that. Jeez. Um, so uh, real quick, just I wanted your opinion. Uh, does a TLC, a match between Charlotte and Becky for the tag titles against the Kabuki Warriors, does that intrigue you? No, because Becky should be defending her title against someone. Like, why the fuck is she in a tag match? I don't know. Why is she in a tag match with Charlotte? And why doesn't she just have a match with Asuka since Asuka's beaten her? Uh, well, why didn't know, they just keep the Natalia in? I, I don't understand why they didn't just keep Natalia in that role since she beat Asuka. Like, why is That's Becky there? So, I, like, the whole thing just doesn't make, make fucking sense to me at all. Like, I'm sure it'll be a good match. Like, that's not the problem with it. It's just wouldn't I mean I guess the the problem right now with Becky is they don't have anyone to challenge her on Raw. Yep. They moved Sasha and Bailey over to SmackDown. They haven't really built anyone up and Flair's Charlotte is stuck in a storyline already with Asuka and Carrie. So I mean it's one of those things where they kind of book themselves into a corner. But they should be focusing on building a challenger that's not through your women's tag division. Right now, it seems like they're trying to build a challenger through tag matches, which I mean could work, but like I don't know, it just did it did it, it it all doesn't really make sense. But I'm sure it'll be a good match, so at least at least you'll get a good match out of it. Yeah, I agree, but that's the same thing to me as my problems with the the sense behind it. But let's go and talk about a couple things that happened on SmackDown. Um, oh God. So we have three returns. Um, we had Alexa Bliss coming to help out uh, Nikki Cross, who's been out for a little while with injury. We have Sheamus with his old haircut uh, coming back for an in-ring return. Looks great. I know that he's been working out a lot with his injury, uh, trying to heal himself. And then Elias uh, randomly in the background for some random, uh, I think, I-, I wasn't sure if they were like, all right, let's have a 24-7 um, title uh, part. And then they were like, ah, never mind. We don't have the title here. 
or some shit. But that was that's that's how uh, Elias made his return. Uh, I have someone uh, written forgot, down. Someone forgot to bring the title. <laughs> yeah, like it was so random. It was like Dana Brooke, and it was like uh, what's Drake Maverick, and him hitting on her, and she's like, "You're married, you weirdo, you creep." And then Elias calling him out about it, and then she starts dancing for him. It was the weirdest shit. Uh, I, I have down there for a note, Chris. You'll like this. Bailey, extremely bad heel. Uh, God, that's just not working for me at all. And then all the stuff with Bray Wyatt. Uh, I like the first segment. Uh, I the belt looks like. Uh, the pelt looks like um, the Necronomicon from Army of Darkness, except cheesier. Um, that's what I wrote down. It's, what, it's what, fine. A, I just, real, real quick, what was the fucking purpose of him turning the belt blue if they were just going to turn it into the Necronomicon the next week? I don't. So they can both have, I guess, a title, one on his segments, and I have no idea, Chris. I don't I don't know. It just it's weird. <laughs> I, the rap thing was I, – I found it funny. It's just in a really awkward way. It does remind me a lot of Tim and Eric's awesome show, Great Job, just not as fucking gross and as weird and out of there. I I, I would love a, a, a show I told you with him and Brooke and Matt Hardy just making weird segments. Just if, if Edge and Christian was trying to do, like, SNL shit, like, this is totally over the top of that, like, ne- just crazy stuff. But I'd probably – it would probably be nightmare fuel, honestly, but – Here's the thing, with Bray, this is another situation where, God, WWE just knows how to murder my enthusiasm for a character that they build the fuck up, and even though, just like a lot of these other people, I'm going to still like him, he's just never going to be that level as he was at one point before they fucked him up. This has happened so much in the past since I started watching wrestling. Uh, I'll even say Becky at one point, was doing way better for herself, and then they fucked it up somehow. Um, and she's, she's still there for me, but she's not as at that level. Braun Strowman, Seth Rollins, um, I'm trying, Rusev, what Rusev Day was huge. And it's like, they build these fucking, they make them superstars, and then they take them back about four fucking pegs. I don't get it. Sasha Banks was on fire when she came back and she turned on Natalia. No one really gives a shit. She is fucking Bailey's lackey now. I don't understand how they fucking just can drizzle off this shit. It's like the the Firefly Funhouses were something to look forward to. They were funny. I'll give them that. This is still a creepy act. I like him pulling Daniel Bryan to hell. I like that Daniel's probably going to overcome the darkness, but I don't think he's going to win the title. I just don't see where the fuck it's going, and I don't have as much enthusiasm. And that's what kills it for me, because I like Bray Wyatt. I think that he's very creative. This concept was fucking very creative, and then they had what happened at Hell in the Cell and fucking killed it. I don't, I don't understand how they fucking do this. This is, this is, this is madness to me. How so many superstars, so many fucking superstars, and I could name more if I wanted to, just completely. And it doesn't matter if it's someone from NXT or if it's someone from somewhere normal, other than like AJ Styles and a few other superstars. They get completely fizzled off. They are on fire. They are literally what Seth Rollins says, burning it down. And then they're kind of embers, you know, slowly going out a little bit, at least for me. I don't know. Chris, am I, am I crazy for thinking this shit? No, not at all. I mean, we knew the backlash of coming out of Hell in the Cell was going to hurt him. Like, we said it going into that show that if he doesn't win the title, then this was a really terrible idea. Well, he didn't win the title. 
Um, they're still doing that red light gimmick shit that I absolutely hate. I thought the segments themselves have been fine. Uh, they're still entertaining to me. I think that they're going to eventually wear out their welcome. Like, that can't be the only thing. I need to see the Fiends have some good matches um, and some meaningful matches, which I would say the one at Survivor Series I thought was okay. I'm hoping that we can get more out of the Fiend than, than that, but uh, the red light gimmick's got to fucking go. Um, and as far as, like you said, I mean, with Seth Rollins, the guy I thought was had started had gotten the crowd really behind him with the burn it down stuff. And then they put him in a feud with Baron Corbin and then a mixed tag match with Baron Corbin and then the thing at hell in the cell. And then they have him come out and talk about Dean Ambrose on Twitter and just like thing after thing after thing they did that did not help that guy at all. Um, Braun Strowman, obviously they built him up as a strong, massive heel. They have Roman beat him. Then they build him back up, and then they have Brock beat him, and then they have him never win the title. <laughs> uh, so that's another good example that you brought up. I mean, with with Sasha, she just came back, got beat by Becky, and now her she's just friends with Bailey. And instead of just putting them back in a tag team and doing something that would actually make sense with them to you know challenge for those tag by, titles that they lost, uh, they don't even they don't even really do that. I mean. There's a lot of start and stop in, in WWE. Vince changes his mind very, very fast, and if he if something doesn't get over immediately, he just goes away from it completely. Um, I mean, a good example of that would be uh, what they did with you know Cedric Alexander or what they've kind of done with what I'm assuming they're doing with Humberto. So, I mean, there's plenty of that on the show. You, Humberto, the crowd completely like loves – but they just had him lose like five times in a row to AJ Styles. So it, it, it's one of those things is like, well, how the hell is he not getting over for not winning? And then they just stop using him altogether. So it, yeah, it's a constant, that's been a constant thing in WWE for a long time. NXT did a good, I think, you know, NXT has done a really good job of building stars. It's just, yep. the sad thing is, is every time you look at one of those stars, you're like fearful for what's going to happen to them once they get to uh. the main roster. You're worried they're going to be in a room like Aleister Black talking and mumbling shit for fucking two months straight, or AOP doing the same thing. Yeah, it's that's it's a huge worry. Um, I will say, and I'll give some credit to Vince here, so it's not a complete burial of Vince. Um, he booked them. He booked NXT pretty strong at Survivor Series and leading up yes. to Survivor Series to try to get NXT the show itself over. That doesn't necessarily mean – what I will say is that doesn't necessarily mean if any of those guys go to the main roster that they will receive that same type of push. But it does seem like he really loves Keith Lee. <laughs> so maybe Keith, Keith Lee, Lee and Matt Riddle. Huge... <laughs> maybe if Keith Lee that's comes actually, up, he'll be, he'll be the guy. That That's actually a good question to you is that apparently there's three people – Maybe potentially four. I don't remember if it was four, but there was three people that Vince was very high on, and that was Keith Lee, Matt Riddle, and and um, uh, Rhea Ripley. I I, I want to say Shayna too, but I'm not 100% sure on that. And that type of situation, as terrifying as it is to see those guys leave NXT, you got to do that. But would you assume they would do a trade then 
since they're supposed to be keeping the sports like between the companies. So and NXT trades them for a certain person, or do you, or do you think they're going to do something stupid where they're, they're, they, they come there randomly and then they don't really fill in the void uh, over at NXT? Well, I think now that NXT is live, you do need to send someone back there. Um, I, 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 the big thing is, is WWE doesn't want to lose any top talent off their primary shows. Um, but if the idea is they're trying to raise ratings on NXT, a trade deal, like you said, uh, might be really beneficial. But, you know, the way they booked Keith Lee, it's almost like they were booking him to get the show over to make him that top star in NXT. So, I don't know. Because of the Wednesday Night Wars, I guess, as it's been deemed, uh, yes, it's hard to tell if they're even going to be bringing any of these people up for a long while. Unless they just start demolishing, um, you know, demolishing an AEW each week, which we won't know the ratings for this week until Monday, apparently. And that'll give us a better scope coming out of Survivor Series if that push works, which I'm assuming it should have. Should have been a pay per view bump on that show. Um, but yeah, Keith Lee, Matt Riddle, I think are definitely people that Vince would look at. The only thing with Matt Riddle, I think he likes him as an athlete and probably won't like the gimmick, and it'll wear on him really quickly. Bro. <laughs> but with Keith, Keith, Keith Lee's a, a big, tall, badass, and Vince likes that shit. So I think Keith Lee could be a big star if they don't. If they book him right, let him continue to have Keith Lee ass in XT matches. If he goes there and it just turns into like very, very methodical big guy wrestling in WWE, like on Raw and SmackDown, I think people fucking very quickly turn against Keith Lee, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, I do think that they have a good, now that they've exposed NXT, and I think it's going to help them out a good amount. You know, the concept of it, it would suck, but instead of it being a call-up, you could have, say, those superstars go up and then trade them for someone like a Curry Sane or anyone that was really successful beforehand, a Bobby Roode or Shinsuke Nakamura, maybe just force Sammy to go along with them so Sammy can bitch about it, like he didn't even have to get traded for anyone individually. He just came in with fucking Shinsuke. Like, th- there's, a, there's a lot of potential there if they want to do that, but they have to – they have to go about it like that, I think, to keep the sports element there. If not, it's just going to get convoluted and kind of just be the exact same and not going to help out this built-up of NXT being its own thing, to me, at least. Yeah, I think the weirdest part is that they don't have anyone in position of power for Raw or SmackDown. Like, there is no general manager figure. There's no one that can make these kind of calls. Like, so even if they wanted to do a trade, like – who is doing the trade? Those random people that announce draft picks? Yeah, I don't you know, know what I mean. I have. Yep. So it's, uh, it's interesting. They need to get some uh, some wrestler, you know, that's not doing much to come out and, I guess, do the GM thing. Uh, at least, you know, be a partial television presence. I love. Yeah, Steve it makes Austin me so nervous. Yeah, me too. It makes me so nervous that. To, for them to do anything GM though, because then it just turns into yeah. like what it always turns into. Shane McMahon. Yeah, Steph, Steph shows up and buries the raw GM forever, or you have, you know, like Shane oh, you, McMahon being. You don't want to see Mick <laughs> Foley get sacrificed in the ring by uh, by Stephanie again. 
No. Or Kurt I'm Angle. Good without seeing that. I, it would be really <laughs> cool if they got if they were able to get someone like I don't know uh, CM Punk <laughs> to be the GM if he didn't uh, want to do a wrestling oh, role. Or oh my god, like a, don't don't say that a, because oh. Like if you could imagine like Punk on SmackDown to bring it up on Fox because that makes sense due to the like how he's doing it and just to be someone there every once in a while to stir shit up and then you get Austin they also have a limited thing on Raw and you kind of position the two of them and Triple H in like this three way like fuck you my thing's better that could be really good but you I don't want it every single week and I don't think any of those guys would want to do it every single week even Triple H he's got too much going yeah, on. Yeah, I think. I think they should only be there for the crossover shows like Royal Rumble. If you're going to have NXT people at Royal Rumble, like they sometimes do. Or make an announcement do, for then, trades. Yeah, like it would make sense. But the problem is, is the WWE doesn't know how to do anything with the GM. They just have had the <laughs> same storyline that they do, and that's what they're going to do. So, like, and Stone Cold's not going to go there and just get berated by Stephanie. Like, I don't ever see that happening. <laughs> he would just be like, nope, not doing that shit, and then leave. <laughs> I'm going to give her a stunner. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time he gave Steph a stunner, so he's pretty much stunned everyone in the McMahon family. <laughs> hey, Steph, you know, all I got to say is you you take that thing better than your dad does. That's for damn sure. All right. Um, Could you see him that, stunning Shane McMahon's kids? Like, that's, <laughs> that's a oh, high probability. God, I want to. That would be awesome. <laughs> I just want a segment where him and Kevin Owens just trade off on Shane McMahon for about 10 minutes. Just he goes back and forth with stunners until he's just dead. You know, not not really like dead, but you know what I'm saying. Um, like they used to do with right, Rock and Austin where he would hit a stunner yeah. and the guy would pop back up and then Rock would hit a rock bottom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what I want. Oh, God. All right, well, uh, let, let's start off Survivor Series. Uh, we got – Quite a quite a few matches to cover. I'm just gonna go down the uh, the pre matches uh, as one uh, talking point. Um, so this kind of like positioned it so everyone had a win based on the pre show because last year they didn't even acknowledge the fucking pre show. So I kind of appreciate them doing this. And by the way, uh, who was there and that Seth Rollins never um, thanked was the Viking Raiders because they actually fucking won one from Raw. But uh, what are you gonna do? But uh, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode won the. Uh, Tag Team Battle Royal. This is a Battle Royal. It wasn't terrible. A lot of people got spots. It's a fucking Battle Royal. I just don't really care about them, so I'm not going to put too much thought into it. I just knew that when NXT was cleared out before all the Raw and SmackDown teams, I'm like, it kind of scared me, Chris. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, that's not good. Like, all of them were eliminated, and then it was like a couple SmackDown teams and like a Raw team or two, and then Dolph and uh, Bobby ended up winning. NXT Cruiser uh, weight championship match. I like how they positioned this. Uh, with uh, Leo Rush going against Akira Tozawa and Callisto. It wasn't a long match, but Callisto hit the, the Salida de la Sol on Tozawa, only to get hit with a frog splash from Rush. And those frog splashes, man, I like how Leo Rush leans into it, uh, like Rob Van Dam, like he does the damage afterwards, because he gets so much air. Uh, short cruiserweight match, still a damn good match. Leo won it, giving one for uh, NXT. And then the tag team match, which was crazy to be on the pre-show, uh, not only because what the Undisputed Era has been doing, but because Kofi fucking Kingston was on the pre-show. I uh, just thought that to myself. I remember messaging you. And it was the Viking Raiders who was dominating throughout the whole entire match, especially against the Undisputed Era. They just got, like, smacked around for the most part like a bitch. And uh, the Raiders hit the Viking experience on, 
on Kyle O'Reilly onto Bobby Fish, then pin Fish for the win, giving uh, Raw um, one point. So all of them had, like I said, one point. Chris, what did you think about the pre-show? I uh, really enjoyed the cruiserweight match, the two tag gimmicks, the tag battle royal. Like you said, I gave, I, I didn't care at all. I, what was, what did you win if you won the battle royal? Like, what was the idea behind it for having it? I guess respect it's a big problem. Respect having... trophy. <laughs> respect for your brand. <laughs> um, so that match was whatever. Uh, the cruiserweight match, I really liked that finish spot with a Selena De Sol, like you said, and then Rush hitting the frog splash. I thought that was a kind of a cool spot. Um, and then the tag match, I was surprised the Viking Raiders won, um, which is not a bad thing, but the Raiders are on Raw. They beat the SmackDown Tag Team Champions um, and the NXT Champions. But I don't I don't know how that equates at all to Raw, I guess. I I, I, I don't know. It's just weird because it doesn't build a storyline out of it, out of anything. It was just kind of like you said, to give a win. Um, to the Viking Raiders. New Day's a little weird. Like, right now, the way they're booking the New Day has been weird. And I don't know if it's because uh, if it's because Austin uh, Austin Creed can't be there. Xavier Woods isn't involved, that they're not doing more with them. Because, uh, you know, he tore his Achilles tendon, but it seems like they've kind of put the SmackDown tag division itself on a little bit of the back burner. Uh, I, I actually thought the that the Undisputed Era was going to win. Yeah, well, the Usos and, uh, unfortunately, Naomi as well. Seems like they're all getting punished together, um, which is unfortunate. Hopefully hopefully they do something with them very soon or move them to NXT because, man, they could have some great matches. It would have been awesome to see them here as, like, a surprise entrance or something, but yeah, that is what it is, man. I liked the tag match itself, so I'm not – you know, the in-ring stuff was fine. It's just – it's – one, it's on the pre-show, and two, we had a battle royal beforehand, and this was the main event of the pre-show, which was like a triple threat tag match. I, I don't know. It, it was what it was. It is what it is, brother. Yeah. Um, just like I said, uh, we, we had we were saying this could be one of the best matches, and it wasn't. It's not that it was uh, a bad match, but it just it was a pre-show match, you know, uh, between the three tag teams. So. Anyways, the main card started. Uh, we had the women's uh, five on five on five because that's very necessary. Um, Team NXT, which was Rhea Ripley, Bianca Belair, Candice LeRae, Tony Storm, and Io Shirai, going against uh, Team Raw, Charlotte Flair, Natalia, Asuka, Kari Sane, and Sarah Logan, and Team SmackDown, Sasha Banks, Carmella, Dana Brooke, Lacey Evans, and Nikki Cross. I found it right off the bat. Um, I'll just say uh, what, you know, might be unpopular, but I don't understand why uh, Sarah Logan or Dana Brooke were really involved in this. Uh, Carmella, for that matter, just because they've kind of been steamed off. There's, there's some bigger names I would assume that they could have put on here, but maybe I'm not thinking about it. Um, I don't know, but especially Sarah Logan, it was like, what? But I mean, she did a great job. Um, all the ladies, I, I think, got their shit in. It wasn't a bad one. I thought that it was really strange with the whole faking out with Candice LeRae and Io Shirai getting injured. Um, they didn't really kind of reference the fact that some of these people don't like each other uh, within NXT, especially Io and Candice, for instance. Uh, so it, it was it was a strange way to cheat, and I liked how Jerry just was like, 
pouting the whole entire ending. Like, they didn't really win. They screwed him over and, like, getting all mad about it. But um, uh, thanks to Uprox for uh, the, the, the breakdown of all the matches. I'll just try to read the following of what happened. Yoshirai and Candice LeRae were taken away with undisclosed injuries early in the match. The camera totally missed whatever happened, and it wasn't explained. Bianca Belair then eliminated Nikki Cross with a roll-up. Belair eliminated Sarah Logan with a 450 splash. Charlotte eliminated Carmella with natural selection. Kari Sane hit the insane elbow on Tony Storm, but was uh, quickly hit by a Meteora from Sasha Banks and pinned. Asuka eliminated Dana Brooke with a kick to the face. Charlotte and Asuka argued amongst themselves, so Asuka spit green mist in Flair's eyes and walked, walked out. She likes doing that a lot, apparently. Um, Lacey Evans eliminated Flair with the woman's right. Uh, Natalia pinned Lacey Evans with a roll-up. Banks and Natalia eliminated Tony Storm with a combination of the sharpshooter uh, Banks statement. I thought that was pretty fucking cool, and especially since Tony Storm was able to like survive that for that long, since it's both of their main moves. Uh, Banks then uh, pinned Natalia with a normal punch. Um, Shirai and Larray uh, turned to the ring to cheat for Ripley, who won with the Riptide. Uh, giving NXT a very definitive win over the other women. What did you think about this match, Chris? It was forever long. <laughs> that is what I would say about this match. It was a really this match was like forty five minutes. Um, there were some good spots, and I think Bianca Belair looked strong, and they gave her some meaningful pins. Uh, I'm a little bit on the same page of you with Sarah Logan, Carmella, and Dana Brooke, kind of just being tossed into the match a little bit. Uh, they haven't done anything with them. It, what, what's really surprising is you get Nikki Cross in this match, but you don't get Alexa. Is Alexa Bliss injured again? Do we know? Well, she just got over her injury. She showed up uh, last night, so she's act, she was cleared, it looked like, for Survivor Series because, like I said, she showed up uh, last night on SmackDown. Yeah, so it's just weird. Like You feel like you could set up some tag team stuff for your tag division coming out of this match. So maybe putting them back together would have been a thing, but maybe they're just going away from that completely. Um, yeah, overall, I liked the match. I thought it was a little weird with the EO and Candace walking out and coming back. Um, also, if Charlotte's supposed to be a baby face and me not feel bad that she gets misted in the face, uh, she shouldn't have got so pissed off about the blind tag and then like grabbed Oscar by her hair and took her down to the mat basically before getting the green mist. It should have just been missed and then out as opposed to the way they built that. That fucking annoyed me. And the green mist gets a huge pop every time, so it's almost like a baby face move. I still don't know what the hell they're doing with Asuka and Carrie Zane other than they're trying to build Asuka, I think, as a heel opponent for um, Becky. But it's like you guys could just talk about the fact that she went undefeated for two fucking years and is an absolute monster as opposed to doing – what they're currently doing, but whatever. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely strange and interesting. I, I I will say Rhea Ripley looked like a fucking star in this. Bianca Belair looked like a star in this. They really had a a good job, like we both said, with elevating a lot of the talent with the NXT. And um, I kind of uh, tend to agree with with Triple H. He said on his press conference, he goes, "Man." With the women's division and the men's division, we might have had someone that was very popular within that division beforehand, but I feel like it's so deep now within the roster that everyone's pretty much elevated. And I think NXT, 
can only benefit, like I've said, from their exposure at Survivor Series and the exposure to their main show and the takeover due to their involvement with the past Raw and SmackDown um, stuff. So that's good to see. And that would kind of go into my two favorite matches, uh, or the next two matches. We had NXT North American champion uh, Roderick Strong going against IC champion Nakamura and U.S. champion AJ Styles. Um, I kind of I predicted that Roderick was going to win, but I thought that AJ was going to take the pin. Uh, but Styles hit Nakamura with a phenomenal forearm. Strong dumped Styles out of the ring and stole the pin on Nakamura, which is something that he has been doing uh, with Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic before in the past. And, you know, that's that's just Roddy being, by all means, having to get that win. Uh, and, and I love the match. Um, I thought all of them were able to really uh, maneuver off each other. This is the most active, I would say. I've seen Shinsuke Nakamura in a long time during the match. And just a lot of aggressive striking, man. I don't know so much about AJ, but Shinsuke and fucking and and Roderick really look like they they lean their shit in, man. And uh, I just I love that 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 one thing that that Roderick does, where he has the person against the ropes and he just annihilates them, running past them with elbows. Uh, I thought this was a great match, and I liked all three of the participants. Uh, but like I said, uh, Styles hit Nakamura with oh yeah, never mind, I already made that. Um, but, yeah, Nakamura took the loss, and Roderick Strong got a sneak pin. What do you think about this match, Chris? I think this is the second-best WWE Nakamura match, like, since he showed up in WWE. I actually like this match a lot as well. The crowd was kind of dead Agreed. for it for a long time. Uh, I guess coming out of that 40-minute, you know, women's five-way match, the crowd was just kind of dead uh, for the match kind of up until the finish, but I, I like the finish. It makes sense. With, they've done this with Roderick Strong on NXT as well, so I didn't get as upset. I know there's some, you know, there's something to be said. You could have just given him a strong pin victory here, and that probably would have helped him a bit more, but, I, you know, it. I, I was fine with the way this turned out, and I really like this match, and like I said, I think it was my second favorite Nakamura match since he came to WWE. It's right there behind... Uh, you know, him and his current manager, which is weird. Uh, <laughs> uh, NXT championship match. Uh, it, we didn't, we haven't gotten there yet, but I, the next match I loved a lot. It's probably my favorite match of the entire show. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was a pretty damn good match. And I think it was followed up by an even better match. In my opinion, I think this, this was definitely my favorite out of the three championship matches. It might have been my favorite match. I mean, what do you expect between Pete Dunne and Adam Cole? But so impressive by so many of these guys, especially when it continued on Raw with some of them, like Rey Mysterio, for instance, or AJ. But, like, man, Adam Cole, the, the, what he put his body through on TakeOver, and we'll talk about that. Just holy shit, man. Uh, and then having a fucking match like this with Pete Dunne, both guys just beating the living shit out of each other. And uh, I thought this was an excellent match. Uh, I, I Like I said, I shouldn't expect any less from the both of these guys. But uh, basically, Adam Cole defeated Pete Dunne after countering the bitter end into a Canadian Destroyer and hitting the last shot. Uh, like I said, very back and forth. And the story of the match is kind of a simple one, I would say. You know, both guys are really roughed up from the night before. They have bandages over the spots that that are, you know, messed up apparently on them. And both of them try to go after those said spots. So, I mean, you know, Diamond Dallas Page rib tape, you know, just go after the ribs, brother. So uh, that whole entire thing. But still, was a damn good match. Uh, Just 
I'm trying to remember all the stuff. Oh, the Panama Sunrise on the fucking apron was gnarly as hell uh, that Adam gave Pete Dunne. So, like I said, these guys, on NXT, they really strive. I just don't know how they would work on the main roster. It's one of those fears with the two of them. But, I mean, in a lot of ways, Adam Cole is kind of, you know, taking that, taking from his mentor, Shawn Michaels, and, and kind of, giving that presence of, of now, at least for NXT. And Pete Dunne, we've, we've said this before, he reminds me so much of a Chris Benoit and just so intimidating based on his size. So uh, kudos to both of them. I can't stop gushing about this match. Chris, what do you think about this match between Pete Dunne and Adam Cole, baby? Well, the Canadian Destroyer and then the, the last shot follow-up at the end of that match the, on the apron like you were talking about was fucking insane. Uh <laughs> But it was, like, one of the cleanest ones I've ever seen. Like, Pete Dunn got his hands down perfectly and just kind of bounced off. It looked awesome. Uh, it, great watching them work against each other. Pete Dunn's fucking phenomenal. I think he may be the best wrestler in the entire company. <laughs> just based on, like, match after match after match and what he's able to do, it's it's insane. My only thing is, like you said, with the, as far as main roster goes, I could see Adam Cole being getting more over than Pete Dunn. I don't think Pete Dunn necessarily has the personality. I mean, he's got the look and, and ring ability. I just don't – I don't know how they what, – what they could do to – kind of create a character around that other than just giving him a bunch of wins, which is not something I WWE feel like likes to do. he would be in a room for about six <laughs> months calling out people to fight him. <laughs> and then getting mad when they call him out. <laughs> Fucking, uh, this match was absolutely incredible. If you watch one match on this show, if, if for those out there listening, maybe you didn't watch Survivor Series. If you watch one match, watch Adam Cole versus Pete Dunne. It was fucking phenomenal. These guys are both great. Um, I like you know the finger break spots that they did. I thought were really great. As as goes with most Pete Dunne matches, they did a really good job of getting the crowd into the match. Because like I said, even in that the match before with Roderick Strong and Nakamura and AJ Styles, the crowd was kind of dead, which is surprising for a uh, poor Chicago crowd, but this match got them up out of their seats and definitely into it. So that, you know, that says a lot about how good the match itself was. Cause I think the crowd, it's, the crowd itself was surprisingly not that good for a Chicago crowd. I don't know if they were hung over from war games or, or what, but. And SmackDown. Wait, I'm, it might be a yeah. combination of all that. Some of them, if they were there, SmackDown and then TakeOver or, or even, I mean, you watch the pre-show and then you have those three matches and then this long-ass, uh, you know, elimination tag match. I was really impressed. And even the next match, too, which you wouldn't think of it, but Daniel Bryan got that crowd back going because he's Daniel Bryan. But this was kind of supposed to be, <laughs> maybe not intentionally, the lull period and all three matches – especially Adam Cole and Pete Dunne getting that, those NXT chants towards the end, really got the crowd back. Um, and I thought that was pretty impressive, man. I mean, that's, that's going to be hard. But uh, then we also had the Universal Championship match, the Fiend going against Daniel Bryan. And uh, it was a good match. I will say, if they started off the program with Daniel Bryan going against the Fiend and doing this from the beginning and kind of just starting there, I think it would have been a hell of a lot better for the Fiend. I think this was a much better match. Um, Seth Rollins was selling too much of being afraid of him. And I like that Daniel Bryan, there was fear, but he was like taking it on head on basically. And it, Daniel Bryan's like the ultimate superhero. The ending was kind of predictable. 
I mean, he finally got that mandible claw on him, and that was it with Daniel Bryan. The red light, it doesn't bother me as much as many people, and I completely understand. I've said this a million times why it bothers people. I hope they stop doing it. It just doesn't work out too well for me. But this was, by default, because I, I, I didn't think the match with Seth and, um, and The Fiend was that bad at uh, Saudi Arabia. I hated the first one. And the, the first one with Finn Balor was whatever. But I thought this was, by default, probably the best match with The Fiend so far. So there is that, and they're extending a feud. So, you know, that's that's how they're going to do it. Uh, but, you know, not not too bad of a match. Like I said, Daniel Bryan, just a master of the audience. Uh, just like, you know, short short amount of people uh, can get that babyface reaction. So, uh, Chris, what do you think about the Universal Championship match with The Fiend and Daniel Bryan? I, I think you made a good point with, you know, Daniel Bryan wasn't scared. He took this head on, and he would, the same as taking on, you know, having to beat Triple H, Randy Orton, and Batista. It's That's what makes Daniel Bryan a great babyface. I also like, instead of him just burying his finisher, he used the yes kicks three times to take down The Fiend. It took, like, you know, it took him doing it three times to actually put The Fiend down. Um, so instead of using his actual finisher, he used, like, a signature move, which made a lot of sense. Uh, he got the crowd behind him a hundred percent, like teasing the yes, the yes, uh, the yes kicks and the yes chance. And um, yeah, overall it was a good match. I still hate the fucking red light. I'm never not going to hate that. I hated it when it was blue and they did it with Sin Cara and I fucking hate it now. Uh, it's just, it's just a constant distraction to the match. It adds nothing to the character. Like why the fuck would he want to dim the lights? Um, I, I don't know. I hate it completely. But outside of that, you know, I thought the match itself was pretty good. This is the best Fiend match. This is better than the Balor match. It was better than both of the Seth Rollins matches. I'll disagree with you on the Saudi match. I thought that match fucking sucked. Seth hit like 100 <laughs> curb stomps on the Fiend. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this. 11 curb stomps. And then they wonder, like, why yeah. the fans are turning against the guy. You're like, oh, well. <laughs> um, the commentary well, on this match. <laughs> The commentary on this match was the drizzling shit, though. Like, Michael Cole having to call The Fiend a bazillion different nicknames and yell The Fiend, The Fiend, The Fiend over and over and over again is fucking maybe my least favorite thing in all of WWE right now. Uh, yeah, he just he, he does that to people. Um, but, yeah, uh Interesting match, nonetheless, and I'm liking this feud, like I said, a hell of a lot more than the one with him and Seth beforehand. I don't think The Fiend should have a title, but what the hell? What are you going to do? Anyways, the next match we have, the Survivor Series Elimination uh, Men's uh, Triple Threat Tag Match. Team Raw, consisting of the captain, Seth Rollins, with Drew McIntyre, Kevin Owens, Randy Orton, and Ricochet. Team SmackDown, with Captain Roman Reigns going against Mustafa Ali, Braun Strowman, King Corbin and Shorty G, and uh, uh, Team NXT uh, with uh, Captain Tommaso Ciampa with Keith Lee, Damian Priest, Matt Riddle, and Walter. Shawn Michaels announced his team on the pre-show. Interesting choices. Uh, Walter just was there to take a pin, basically. And, man, uh, he was the most over person for a second within the whole entire fucking team. As soon as he came out, people were, were, were saying his name. And you could tell he seemed a little off guard from the uh, the chance. But he was probably thinking to himself, oh, fuck, I'm about to get eliminated in one minute. 
that's what I would have been thinking my... when I came out to that pop. <laughs> to, to my twenty minutes of or my, my, my two minutes of fame I should say. Um just gonna go down in a blaze of glory. But before he got eliminated, he got a lot of offense in. I liked the the time he was just annihilating people with chops and then he did the Braun Strowman and Braun was like, Ow, I'm going to fucking kill you and then that kinda got like uh Dropped. I forgot who attacked Braun Strowman, but inevitably Drew McIntyre would take him down with a Claymore kick. And I'll go down, like I said, with the uh, wonderful Uproxx, um, you know, uh, breakdown of the match itself. McIntyre eliminated Walter quickly with a Claymore kick. Owens eliminated Shoy G with a bulldog, Bullfrog splash, picking him over the NXT opponent that was in the ring. I think it was Ciampa. Ciampa eliminated Owens with a rope-assisted DDT. Uh, Orton pinned Priest after an RKO. But got rolled up by Matt Riddle and eliminated. Big win for Matt Riddle, honestly. Orton RKO'd him after the elimination, allowing Corbin to pin and eliminate Riddle. Um, Braun Strowman was counted out. Another stupid fucking thing to do to Strowman. The second time! Uh, Corbin How do you get count- with... I, I don't know, man. It's elimination How do you get match. counted out in a triple threat match, though? I don't know. It's so dumb. It's no, it's uh, no DQ. Uh, Braun Strowman, yeah, he was counted out Corbin hit Ricochet with the end of days to eliminate him Rollins eliminated Ali with a stomp Ali from Chicago was on fire with the crowd Definitely over I like how he brought out the uh, Chicago flag at the beginning Reigns eliminated McIntyre after Spear Reigns then speared his own partner, King Corbin And allowed Tommaso Ciampa to pin Corbin Reigns and Rollins teamed up to go against uh, Rollins Or uh, against uh, Ciampa and uh, Keith Lee and Rollins pinned Ciampa with the stomp. Lee was able to pin Rollins with a ground zero jackhammer. And then Reigns kicked out of a spear bomb. Lee then went for the moonsault but missed, and Reigns hit with a spear so that Team SmackDown could get their second win and pretty much their only other win on this. And Raw lost again. Um, but, yeah, uh, good ending. There was a part also that that's not mentioned of Rollins and um, – and uh, Reigns trying to do their normal powerbomb thing and then getting that screwed over on them uh, for a little bit of a team-up. I wish that there was more confrontation between Rollins and Reigns. I think that there is a story there that I would like to see uh, happen that will coincidentally help Reigns more so within it, even though they're on two different brands. I liked all this stuff with Corbin. I liked how Lee was pushed all the way to the end. Um, I thought that was very telling, like you said. And uh, how they kind of handled, like, yeah, Randy's lost, but um, the fact that he got back at Riddle afterwards and that Riddle got a pin over him was pretty good. Um, everyone was kind of displayed well except for Walter. Uh, Chris, what do you think about this match? Yeah, I, I'll cut WWE a break. I don't think that they realized how over Walter was going to be. And they, he did, they didn't do a whole lot to highlight him leading up to the pay-per-view itself. So, like, as far as him being a part of this match, um, so, it's, you know, it, it's a little bit weird. It made Drew look good, I guess. Um, and Walter, you know, he's not going to be on the main roster because he only wants to work, like, NXT and do a very limited schedule. He doesn't want to do that travel. That was one thing I think he said when he signed his contract, if I remember correctly. So, it's, you know, he kind of kind of became the weakest link when they were trying to put over these other guys, but it, it was just crazy because he was so fucking over when he came out <laughs> and then he just gets Claymore kicked and it's, it's over. Um, yeah, I think they did a good job 
I, I feel like they may do something with Owens and Ciampa down the line since, you know, he chose Shorty G to hit the splash on, like you said, to get the pin. And then Ciampa just immediately eliminated him. And Ciampa was the one who picked Owens to be on his team uh, for war games the previous night. So that was, that seemed like they were sowing some seeds there. Maybe I could just be overthinking it, but some of the stuff that was booked in this match made a lot of sense. Um, Matt Riddle rolling up Randy Orton and getting the, the win. I thought that was a big moment for Matt Riddle, but then just having him get, you know, RKO'd and then pinned by Baron Corbin, that's like, oh, it's grown worthy. Corbin doesn't need the fucking heat at all. Uh, but, you know, that's what they did. That's what they went with. It was fine. The Braun getting counted out, I thought was absolute fucking garbage. Uh, it's a triple threat <laughs> match. There's no rules in a triple threat. How many times has Michael Cole said, there's no rules in a triple threat? Well, apparently there's fucking count-out rules, which I wasn't aware of. Um, but, yeah, uh, yeah, and the rest of the match I thought was really great. I loved all of the stuff with uh, with Lee versus Rollins and Reigns. I, I, I would have, like you said, liked to have seen more confrontation between Reigns and Rollins since they were on separate teams. And it seemed like, you know, I know they're, they're – they have their bromance or whatever, but uh, it would have been nice to see some dissension because they were on separate teams. And maybe the, the end of the match could have went a little longer, um, but Lee came off like a million bucks here, and I didn't have a problem with Reigns winning um, at all. SmackDown was going to get a win after what happened to them last year, which is they lost every match. So uh, that was a strong one, and Rollins was probably the second most booed person <laughs> in this match besides Corbin. So that's kind of telling how like Reigns has become Rollins and Rollins has became Reigns, which is fucking weird. Like you said in the past, they hated (laughs) Rollins. And, and you look at Reigns, he beats Keith Lee, obviously the underdog. Everyone wants to see win for NXT, but the way that they do it, he still gets cheered by the audience. And this is Roman Reigns. And Seth Rollins now hated for eliminating fucking Ali throughout the match. Like, what the fuck? So I, I will say that they um, the, the entire buildup for this, there was, there was things I didn't like about the way that they handled NXT on the main show. But throughout the show, they did a good job of trying to highlight certain people that they see as big stars. Uh, specifically, like Keith Lee, Matt Riddle, um, Candice, EO. Roderick Strong, Adam Cole, Pete Dunne. They did a really good job of giving these guys a lot of screen time and, and some big matches. So that's that was good. I like this match uh, more than the women's elimination match, but it wasn't it wasn't one of my favorites. As, as much as I loved seeing Keith Lee and uh, Matt Riddle against some of these guys, it, it just I watched War Games the night before. So I'd kind of, and then we had the 45 minute women's elimination match. So I think I was just tired of that style of match. So yeah, I should probably go back and watch it again. Honestly, I just remember there was an awesome uh, little interaction that we didn't get to see play out when Tommaso Ciampa had Randy Orton pulling the Viper ship behind him, and Tommaso Ciampa caught him in his peripheral, and they kind of squared off, kind of similar type of sinisterness to both characters. And then that kind of got abruptly stopped, but they're good about doing that within these matches. I just kind of want to see that then there in the future. So um, we'll have to wait and see. 
another match that everyone's been waiting on, I think, uh, based on Rey Mysterio and him building this up, has been uh, this, this uh, no-DQ match with Brock and Ray. Uh, Ray automatically at the beginning of it went for a weapon, and I don't blame him. He was kind of just basically trying to bait Brock into getting in the ring so he could just beat the shit out of him with it. But uh, during the match, Dominic uh, Mysterio arrived and teased throwing in the towel, but Lesnar stopped him. Uh, and then uh, uh, Mysterio and Dominic low-blowed uh, Lesnar, then hit him with a double 619 and double top rope splashes. It was good to see uh, Dominic, you know, uh, praise his original father, uh, Eddie, uh, with his uh, splash. <laughs> Remember what happened to the past, guys. Uh, anyways, uh, that was a weird, uh, weird storyline. Anyways, the Lesnar recovered, however, and caught Mysterio for an F5. It was basically the Mysterios just beating the crap out of Lesnar until he finally recovered, and then he won. But it was a it was a fun match. I really thought that Ray had potential of winning this, and I will still say that, you know, since he's such an attraction by himself, you could have had Ray take the title. I mean, he won it by Dominic helping him out. You could have had Kane kind of interfere too, just so it's like Brock doesn't – it doesn't make him look weak. He got fucked over by three people against one. And somehow Ray as a babyface would take that, and no one would, would, would worry about the heel way of, of in which he won it. Um, and then you, if you want to put the title back on Brock, just fucking put it back on him over by Royal Rumble. I don't know. But either way, the U.S. title now is going to be the premier title as Ray now has it, uh, as we said beforehand. But um, what do you think about this match with the Mysterios and Brock Lesnar? It was a Brock Lesnar-ass Brock Lesnar match, but they found a way to make it believable that Rey Mysterio could win with that pipe and the interference with Dominic. And we got to see some really cool spots, father and son, uh, just – Team banging Lesnar's nuts, which is pretty funny. Um, yeah, I like the match overall, man. I thought I thought it was fun. Um, obviously, I thought Brock was going to win here. I just didn't see them putting the title on Rey Mysterio. And then they kind of did put the title on Rey Mysterio because Brock's going to be gone to Rumble. And like we said, that makes the U.S. title, you would think, if you're booking it like a normal-ass show, that makes the U.S. title your top title for now. Um yeah, I liked everything about this whole storyline. I think Ray uh, Mysterio had some great babyface promos, and Paul's just always such a good heel. I even like, you know, Brock attacking the uh, what is his name? Uh, the the announcer. I can't think of his name right now. The third announcer uh, oh, that Brock uh, attacked. I keep wanting to I say Dio, but it's not Dio. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, no, no, uh, I, I think it is Dio Madden. Okay, yeah. So he, I, I liked him attacking him, and then they kept him off TV the following week, which I thought was a strange thing for WWE to do. But it was, it was that like that entire buildup was really well done, and to me, the match didn't disappoint. I mean, it's Lesnar versus a small guy. You got to make it believable. It seemed like Ray almost had a chance to win after the two frog splashes, but. They weigh both of those guys combined together, probably weigh less than Brock Lesnar, so he was able to just toss him off. <laughs> so, yep. I mean, it's just you're making Lesnar a monster. You're trying to build up the fiend as someone who is invulnerable to moves. Uh, it seems like that's what they're building towards. So, yeah, I, I think you know I'm I'm fine with Lesnar holding it here while they continue to build the fiend and and just do stuff without Lesnar being 
in the storyline because it seems like they're going to focus the show around Seth Rollins' heel turn um, and Rey Mysterio is champ. So Brock just would be a sore thumb on either show right now, honestly, if you're trying to shove him into storylines uh, while you're trying to get other storylines you know, over with the crowd. Because like, if you went back to SmackDown, you kind of immediately have to do him versus The Fiend. And if he's on Raw primarily, you have to have a challenger for him, and the two people that would be viable challengers are already locked up in a match, basically, with Seth Rollins and then Kevin Owens. Absolutely. So let's get to this last match, and we had the three women's champions, Shayna Baszler for NXT, uh, Bailey for SmackDown, and Becky for Raw, going at it in a three-way match. Um, see, I watched it the second time around. I'll, I'll tell you that it was definitely a better match when I watched it. I think the crowd and everyone, after six hours of wrestling, were just exhausted for this match. And until the end where Becky started fucking up Baszler and then put her through a table, it was pretty dead. And I know that essentially uh, Vince McMahon wasn't happy with the turnout of this match. He also wasn't happy with Seth Rollins mentioning CM Punk on Raw, uh, apparently. So <laughs> he probably got his pantyhose in a wad uh, for both of those things. But um, I thought this was a pretty good match. And kind of what we thought was going to happen was going to happen. Uh, you know, Becky got taken out. She was outside of the ring. And Baszler tapped out Bailey with the Kota Fita clutch. So that's uh, that's initially what happened. And uh, not bad for many of them, but I think that – Surprisingly, Rhea Ripley actually was the supreme uh, female star out of all this over Shayna. And um, she was still a badass, but I just think that this match could have been uh, suited better early in the card because I just think that everyone was tired and the uh, the men's tag match was going to be hard to go after. So uh, what do you think about this match, Chris? Yeah, I agree with you. I think it, I think the placement they should have done this before the Lesnar match or even earlier in the night. The placement of the match didn't do them any favors. Um, I the match itself was okay. I think I've seen better Shayna matches in the same format, which is a little frustrating because you think about the matches that she's had with like all of the three way women's matches that she's had on NXT. I just kind of expected a little bit more out of Becky Lynch and, and Bailey, honestly. Um, it, it was a it was a strange combinations of style as well. It's almost like they wanted they wanted Shayna to do more of like the typical WWE female wrestling as opposed to what she normally does, which I think kind of hindered the match a bit. But um, we'll see. I mean, this is this is one this is the first time that she's ever had this kind of level match. I don't think that says anything about Shayna. It's just that. Whoever's working with her is going to have to understand that that's the, the style that she works is is very similar to what you would have to do if you were wrestling like Brock Lesnar. You know what I mean? Like a, the way that like or, or Ronda Rousey. So I just assumed that Becky would would be better since she worked with Ronda so much, but apparently I was incorrect. I, I, the match was okay. I'm not going to bury it like it was fine it just i kind of expected it to be better than what it came off as and i think the crowd did as well but the placement obviously didn't help it like like you said yeah it would have been hotter early on i would say let's go to takeover now and uh i want to kind of talk about these uh well the, the matches that are not war games matches let's go over the three of them 
beforehand. Uh, but we had at the on the kickoff show Angel Garza and Isaiah Swerve Scott, aka Shane Strickland. They had a pretty damn good match. Garza getting a big win, which I think he needed, building them up. I, I think they go against Leo Rush again because uh, I don't think they're done with that whole entire storyline. Then we obviously know who would inevitably win the three-way match with Killian Dane, Pete Dunne, and Damian Priest. Um, Dane with a Pete Dunne on his back gave Priest a senton. Uh, Dunne then shoved Dane out of the ring and pinned Priest. So uh, kind of a similar situation of what we've had with uh, Roderick Strong on Survivor Series. Uh, but pretty damn good match. And then Finn Balor and Matt Riddle. I'm not going to say it was a letdown. I watched this match for a second time, uh, like I watched the whole entire pay-per-view for a second time. And um, it was a good match. It just I think that this was supposed to be Finn Balor and Johnny. Um, I don't know if they worked on stuff beforehand, but obviously Johnny's injury, taking him out of it, kind of screwed up that. So it, it seemed a little more abrupt. They might have just gone out there and kind of called it a bit and just had the spots planned. But uh, still a good match between two awesome wrestlers, and Finn Balor beat uh, Matt Riddle with the 1916 DDT. I like that. I, I believe Matt Riddle actually, uh, you know, uh, I think he got out of the, the coup de gras. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I remember, no, he got his legs up. That's right. And then he had to go to the 1916 to win. So that's the Prince Devitt uh, finisher. So I hope that he actually used that more so than the coup de gras because it, it – it just looks a little more uh, sinister and to the point. Chris, what did you think about these uh, the three matches outside of the war um, the war games matches? I like Angel Garza a lot. I'm glad that they're going to do more with him and continuing that feud with him and Leo Rush because I think they've done some really entertaining stuff. Um, and I like that they've been highlighting the cruiserweight division uh, more so on the show. I'm glad that they've kind of put that as a forefront title on NXT. It's something that I had said should have been done on the main roster a long time ago, which we haven't seen any of since uh, Neville, I would say. Um, but yeah, like I, I liked that match a lot. I thought it was really fun. Um, the Pete Dunne, Killian Dane, and Damian Priest match, I, I, you know, this to me is just a set up because they're still going to be, you're still going to have Pete Dunne versus Killian Dane. It seems like that feud is still going. So Pete Dunne winning the way he won makes a lot of sense and we got a great match out of it so i i actually like this match uh quite a bit and the finn balor matt riddle match i thought was a little disappointing just because i know how great both of those wrestlers can be and and i don't know what it was but the match didn't click with me um i it may just be that it may just be finn getting used to the nxt style as opposed to the main roster style too that might have something to do with it Uh, i think that's gonna you know He'll get that out of his system soon enough if he's going to be down on the next tee for, for a long period of time. But uh, I agree with you. I, I'm glad that he's not necessarily needing the Coupe de Gras as a finisher because it's kind of a babyface finisher. So the 1916 DDT makes more sense for him being a heel character like that. Uh, and I like the match itself. I just expected more out of it because it's Matt Riddle and, and Finn Balor. Yep. Um all right, so let's talk about this ladies' war game match that was might have been my favorite out of the two. Now that I think about it, uh, a lot of people had problems with uh, the booking decisions uh, towards the end, but basically we had Rhea Ripley, Tegan Knox, Dakota Kai, and Candice LeRae going against Shayna Baszler, Io Shirai, Bianca Belair, and Kaylee Ray. Uh, Dakota Kai was taken out by an unknown assailant during the pre-show, and uh, we would find out that would be Dakota Kai because. 
uh, while Candace and uh, both her and um, and uh, what you call it, um, oh man, Rhea Ripley were in the ring. Uh, the next person to come out out of that team was Dakota Kai, and instead of going to the ring, she turned around and beat the living shit out of her, her apparent best friend, um, Tegan Knox, and uh, just left. And then Shayna came out, and it was four on two. And um, basically, uh, even though it was four on two, I think they did a good job representing of how they would still come back. I thought it kind of made Baszler and Bianca, two of their strongest people, kind of look a bit weak, if I'm going to be honest with you. But it was a good comeback story. And Ripley was able to pin Baszler after Riptide onto two open chairs to win war games for the ladies and really cementing her in a program now against uh, Shayna for the belt. And I think that, honestly, out of everyone so far, she has the best chance of getting that belt because she's on fire right now. Uh, but did you have problems with the way that they, they did that with two against four? Um, and how did you like the match as a whole, Chris? I, I, I can see people complaining about it just because it is Shayna and Bianca Belair, too, who females who have been booked really strong in the division but at the same time they're trying to get Rhea Ripley to that level so I didn't have as much of a problem with it it was a good strong win um, I like the Dakota Kai heel turn I, I'm surprised that they did it because she was kind of a fan favorite um, but it, it, it that does tell an interesting story so I'm, I'm excited to see where they go with it um, and props on you I think you called that going in that you were pretty sure that it was going to be a heel turn um, I, but yeah, so. I, honestly, that was, that was how they should have done with Bailey and Sasha, something like that in the past, really, for, if you yeah. want to turn Bailey heel. But, uh, I, I liked this match a lot. I thought it was really, really good. I didn't have as, I mean, it, it's not as much of a disadvantage as it was like what they had Ziggler come back like four on one or something at Survivor Series one year. <laughs> Do you remember this? Like it was not as baffling as that, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I I didn't have a huge problem with it. I mean, these matches are hard to book because there's so many moving parts, and I thought this one was one of the better ones I've seen in a long time. So, um, yeah, I liked it overall. I liked the Dakota Kai heel turn, um, and I agree with you. I think Rhea Ripley is is getting that title, and that's you know where they've been building her. So her getting the win here makes a lot of sense. And I would trade Shayna for either Kari Sane or Oscar. And uh, put Shayna up so that her and Becky can uh, fulfill their little thing afterwards. Anyways, uh, let's talk about this men's match. Uh, so it was Tommaso Ciampa, Keith Lee, and Dominic Dijakovic going against basically kind of the undisputed era is to this modern concept of war games what the Four Horsemen were to the original one because they're always involved. I believe they won the last two, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, we didn't know who the fourth person was going to be, and uh, – Basically, Tommaso said that he put an offer to someone, and if they decided to show up, they decided to show up. That person decided to show up who was pissed off that his friend's uh, team beat the living shit out of him and wanted to go after Adam Cole and the Undisputed Era, and that was Kevin Owens. Uh, so Kevin Owens was uh, the fourth member, and Champa won the match after an air raid crash to Cole from the top of the cage through a pair of tables, Holy fuck! That ending sequence. Every member got put through ca- through through uh, tables, uh, aside from Adam Cole. And I'm just like, God damn it! Why are they doing this? I'm like, I'm I'm scared shitless. <laughs> and 
the fact that Ciampa's neck is fucked up himself. So he, if he takes that, even at the spine, at the ba- like his tailbone, that could fuck up his whole entire spine going upwards and screw up his fusion, and not let alone his neck from an impact like that. And then you have Adam Cole, who's who, even though, and I'm watching this this replay on Uproxx on here, you can see that Ciampa turned a certain way, so he fell on his back. But man, there is little to no. Uh, to, to, to any type of fuck-up through that. Uh, apparently, Triple H tried to explain afterwards, and I believe him. So the cameraman decided to go for someone that was reacting in the audience uh, afterwards. And it happened to be Britt Baker, who was mortified by what happened to Adam Cole. And so <laughs> Triple H said, told Moro to say something about it and not, not act like that was like she wasn't known, basically. And that's why they acknowledged her, because he thought it would look weird, and he said that he hopes that there was nothing that he did that would get her in trouble and that, that you know, no one's getting in trouble for that from his end. That was just a fucking mistake. So apparently, and he kind of even said that, like, last time she was in the background while, while Stephanie is there. We're not trying to do that, but, like, that's just how it works. I don't know if that's true or not, but he was trying to, like, say, like, the cameraman just went out for a reaction. It happened to be her, and she she really did look mortified. I don't know if Adam Cole told her about that ending, uh, but yeah, man, that was gnarly as shit. I don't think they needed to do that. But uh, the the uh, undisputed era finally lost, and Champa beat uh, Adam Cole with that, and uh, you know, gonna push their story going forward. Now with this like element of Finn Balor, it's very interesting for the NXT title. Chris, what do you think? I think the crowd absolutely lost their shit when Kevin Owens showed up. <laughs> they went bonkers for him. It was incredible. Um, that spot at the end of the match was crazy. I will say at least they didn't just do it. At least they did it through a table and not just straight to the mat. Um, it kind of broke their fall a little bit, but it was still gnarly. Uh, the the Britt Baker stuff is weird. I want to believe Triple H, but it's also the King of Shovel style, so I don't necessarily know that I believe Triple H. Um, Advice, though, if you're a wrestler on a competing product, don't sit in the front row of your competitor's show. Like, not a good idea. Could you imagine, like, Hulk Hogan sitting front row at a fucking WCW flare match? Like, it's it's not a good look. It's just not a good look. Um, I don't think AEW is going to – I don't think there will be any kind of repercussions from that, but it was just, like, weird. Uh, The match itself I thought was absolutely incredible, man. It's a great match. This is probably my favorite match of the night by far. Uh, The table spots at the end were were absolutely insane, and Kevin Owens was super fucking over on NXT. Um, And I think that even led into the following night on Survivor Series because – They've done a really. They did a really good job building Kevin Owens through NXT while helping NXT. If that makes sense, it's like he's kind of gotten some of his swagger back. Uh, whereas the past two months he was a little stagnant. So I'm looking forward to that feud. And uh, now it seems like Champa is set up for a title match, right? Yep. So that yeah, that'll be really good as well. <laughs> And uh, let's go into NXT. We've got 35 minutes, and I definitely would love to cover um, AEW, so I'm going to try to go through NXT pretty quickly. It was pretty much – I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the biggest thing, but it was pretty much 
you know, uh, a correlation of everything that happened on uh, TakeOver. But it opened up with a big recap of the TakeOver War Games. Then we had Josea Williams, who's, I guess, their, their mascot when it comes to performing for them, who praised NXT and had a rap uh, for them um, for their win at Survivor Series, invited the whole roster to come out to celebrate. Everyone started celebrating during a performance of a rap song about NXT's win. Uh, at Survivor Series, the Undisputed Era's music hit, interrupting celebration, and all the other wrestlers left besides Tommaso Ciampa, <laughs> Matt Riddle, and Dominic Dijakovic. Adam Cole said that Undisputed Era was the reason NXT was successful last weekend. Ciampa reminded them they lost at War Games and said that was the beginning of the end for the Undisputed Era, and tonight the collapse continues when Dijakovic and Lee win the tag titles. Ciampa continued cutting a promo about how he's going to hold the NXT championship from Adam Cole. Then we had uh, Finn Balor enter the arena and told Ciampa he would have to go through him for a shot at the NXT championship. Ciampa was down for the match with Balor. Lee took the microphone from Ciampa and told Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish to get in the ring because it's basking season. <laughs> I love that one. Uh, <laughs> And then Beth Phoenix kind of explained that Maranalo would not be on commentary for the show and introduced um, to the announced team um, with Nigel McGuinness, Mr. Tom Phillips. Now, that whole situation, we haven't really commented on it. I hope Morrow comes back. I, you know, there's a lot of shit that goes into all of that, and I feel for him, especially since I've suffered not to his level, on, uh, you know, unfortunately for his end, but with bipolar disorder in the past and manic depression based on that. Um, all I will say, though, and uh, the silver lining of this pairing up, uh, Morrow is the modern uh, announcer for NXT, but at least Tom, if they have to go that route, I've always liked Tom. I thought he was a very solid just play-by-play, and he also happens to be someone that came from NXT. So um, the three of them did fine, uh, and uh, Morrow, you know, was missed. But um, either way, how would you like this opening of the celebration, Chris, uh, Adam Cole, talking a bunch of shit, finally getting some boos from the audience for the first time, it seemed like. They weren't behind him, which is good. And the um, the, the fact that Morrow was not on for commentating. Yeah, I think they did a great job getting Tommaso Ciampa over as a baby face. And then once you have, you know, some of these other big stars out there like Keith Lee and Matt Riddle, um, it's it's a little easier to boo Adam Cole. Uh, you know, outside of Gargano, there wasn't really anyone that was more over than Adam Cole. And in this situation, and the way they've built them up, they've they've now successfully, I think, turned Adam Cole into a more viable heel, someone that's actually going to be able to get heat with the crowd. Um, so yeah, I like the promo a lot. I I liked is it, a little weird, you know, Finn's Finn getting involved, but that's. That seems like they're going to do – I mean, it seems like Ciampa is going to get the title is, is my guess. Uh, but it, it, it looks like it's going to be like a triple threat or a four-way match or something for the belt so that they can keep Cole looking strong. Um, it's a little easier to think about what NXT might do because most of the shit they book makes sense. So that would be my guess of where they're going with that uh, based off that promo. <laughs> Uh, the one thing I'll say is, uh, like the tag match itself, I thought was really, really good. Um, favorite part of the entire night was Keith Lee just fucking launching Adam Cole six rows back. 
Well, yeah, since we, we didn't, uh, we hadn't gone into that, let's get to that tag match. Um, what sucks about it, and I haven't gone and checked on an update, uh, we had a part at the beginning of it where basically uh, I, I think Bobby Fish or Dominic Dijakovic threw uh, – not either Keith Lee or Dominic Dijakovic threw Bobby Fish into Kyle O'Reilly, and it just looked like the way he landed, Kyle fell right <laughs> onto his onto his leg, and Bobby Fish is actually uh, legitimately injured and had to be taken out of the match. That's why Roderick Strong was in um, his normal clothes because he wasn't supposed to be in that match. So it looks like Bobby's going to be out. I hope it's not too big. Like I said, I haven't seen um, any updates on it, but I know that Dave Metzler said that was a legitimate injury. Uh, and, um, yeah, that, that kind of sucked right off the bat. But, yeah, the, the craziest spot was definitely Adam Cole, who looked like he was about to interfere with the match, uh, charging the ring and Keith Lee coming out of nowhere, pouncing him into, obviously, uh, you know, stage people, but just launching him into the audience. And uh, fucking, uh, you know, Dominic being so like, what the hell? By what just happened, they got the high-low on him. And before Keith Lee could get in, uh, Dijakovic, who was having problems with Lee, remember they have a rivalry beforehand, uh, got pinned. And, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a very interesting, uh, match and, uh, ending with the pounce. Yeah. Uh, any more comments about that? Yeah. I absolutely loved that. That was the finish that he was so shocked that Keith Lee basically killed Adam Cole that he got beat. Like that was pretty, he was, he was basking in, in Keith Lee's glory. (laughs) That's how he lost. Uh, I'm sure that that'll be in the next promo or something, but yeah, that, that, that spot was awesome. As far as Morrow um, not being on commentary, I didn't, I, I didn't comment on it. Um, I think Tom Phillips did an okay job. Morrow is kind of a big part of NXT and has kind of been known as the voice of NXT. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of Morrow, but I do want to send him some well wishes. I think that situation that he was kind of put in is a little shitty um, maybe we'll talk about it more on, on Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, but yeah, overall, I uh, just well wishes to him and I hope everything, um, works out okay for, for that guy. He's, he's been through a lot with WWE in the past, so hopefully they get this stuff worked out and he'll be able to return, uh, to his commentating job as normal. Absolutely. All right. So we had an interview with Candice Array, uh, just cutting down Dakota Kai saying like, you know, I've been here. Um, since since uh, Tegan Knox uh, first started in wrestling, and she's like a little sister to me, so I'm gonna fuck Dakota Kai up. She didn't say that, but that's what she meant basically. <laughs> uh, a clip was shown backstage at War Games in which Leo Rush attacked Angel Garza backstage, so that's setting up, like I said, more of their feud going forward. Apparently, Leo did not like that Angel Garza took off his pants in front of his whole family, including wife, and shook his ass for him. I wouldn't either. Uh, then we had a match that was pretty much it was pretty much a, a squash match uh, with Mansoor picking up a victory against Shane Thorne after a slingshot neckbreaker. Uh, clips of Mansoor wins in Saudi Arabia were shown before this match, of course, to give everyone the relevance of him. No, I do like Mansoor though, and and like I said, he's a he's grown on me. Shane Thorne was shown afterwards having a temper tantrum out in the back, and then we had Candice LeRae going against Dakota Kai. Um, Kai brought Tegan Knox's – okay, I said in this match, I go, I don't know why both these ladies are in this match. I, I have faith in NXT. If this was WWE, they'd screw it up. But if this was me, Dakota Kai would grab some sort of weapon. I thought a chair. I didn't think about 
the uh, Tegan Knox's uh, knee brace. I would take that, hit <laughs> her in the head, and give reason for Kanisori to be pissed off Dakota Kai going forward, and Dakota Kai to really make you know kind of make her heal. And that's exactly what they did. So I was very happy with that. Um, but yeah, how, how did you like all the build up for Kanisori against Dakota Kai and Mansoor going against Shane Thorne? I liked Mansoor getting a win. It's the first time I'd seen him on NXTV since the Saudi show, I think. Right? Yep. yep. And they gave him the big win at Saudi, and I mean, he was super over with the crowd there. I think he's got a good look. He's pretty good in the ring. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see more of him. And I thought that you know it was basically a squash match, like you said, but I thought it was pretty decent. Um, for the Dakota Kai stuff, I, I love that she used the knee brace because I think the knee brace itself is illegal. <laughs> that knee brace is like the size of a truck. <laughs> what the hell is going on with that? <laughs> <laughs> I've been bitching about that. Like her move is called the shiniest wizard. And then she uses the knee brace as a weapon. Who's the real heel here is what I'm getting at. I'm on, I'm on team Kai. <laughs> no, all jokes aside, I, I like the way they built that storyline. And I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing where they go with it from there. All right. So throughout the duration of this time, we both had dueling promos with Tommaso Ciampa against Finn Balor and then Finn Balor against Tommaso Ciampa. thought both of them were pretty strong. Uh, we had a recap of Ripley's wins um, at, at uh, War Games and at Survivor Series. And then we had a cruiserweight match. Leo Rush beat Akira Tozawa. These guys have great chemistry together. Um, Leo beat him with two final hours. He's very impressive, and I want to see him back on the mic because Leo is actually really good on the mic. So I don't know if the babyface turns kind of hurting that thing. Um, and then we had Zia Lee going against Vanessa Bourne. Uh, the week before, Vanessa Bourne's tag partner, Aaliyah, got her nose broken by Zia Lee. Ugh, what the hell? Um, so it looks like they're pushing her, but like I said, she seems to not be very good. I, I've seen in the past, she's extremely stiff. And it looks like she's accidental because she's actually martial arts based beforehand. So holding her punches and kicks, especially, seem not to be the best thing for her. But uh, anyways, in a short match, Shayna Baszler and her four horsemen entered during the match and stood uh, ominously on stage. Marina Shafir and Jasmine Duke attack Lee, and she managed to fight them off before Baszler got involved. Shafir and Duke held Lee while Baszler kicked her. Then Basil got on the mic and bragged about her main event Survivor Series win. The crowd chanted Rhea Ripley at Baszler, and she shouted over it until Ripley's music hit. Ripley reminded Baszler that she beat her at War Games and challenged for and uh, challenged for the NXT Women's Championship. So she might have been Bailey, she might have beat uh, Becky, but she didn't beat Rhea Ripley. And uh, so it looks like they're positioning uh, the two of them for that title match, which is going to be good. Uh, what did you think about the uh, women's match? with Zia getting a win on Vanessa Bourne and then followed up by uh, the stare down between Rhea Ripley and Shayna Baszler. Yeah. Zaya's a bit scary in the ring. This was kind of just a nothing happening match. And in, in my opinion, it was just a setup for Rhea and Shayna and that's fine. I thought it fit well where it was on the show. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to Rhea versus Shayna. I mean, that's that match should be pretty fucking awesome. So I'm looking forward to that shit. All right, so this brought us to the ending. Uh, before we get to our, our main event, we had an announcement that Damian Priest and K- Killian Dane would be having a match the next week. Uh, but we have Finn Balor and Tommaso Ciampa. Um, 
So basically, we it was a pretty good match actually. It's one of the better matches, if not uh, the best one on the thing. Both guys were kicking the shit out of each other, and it took Cole to assist Balor uh, to get the win against Tommaso Ciampa. Uh, Finn Balor would get the 1916. So that seems like it's really going to go into the future um, of what's building up between the three of them because, you know, Ciampa got screwed over. But Balor and Cole stood side by side over Ciampa's body. Balor pointed finger guns on Ciampa and then unexpectedly gave uh, a kick, a Pele kick to Cole in the face. So, you know, the, the prince is not a part of any anything. He's, he's, uh, he's by himself at this point. And this looks like it's going to be uh, the definitive three-way for the title uh, set up for the future. Chris, what would you like about NXT, and did you like this main event with Balor and Tommaso Ciampa? So I like the main event a lot, and I like the setup build. Um, I, like I said, I think it's either it's probably looks like it's going to be a three-way, and I think they did a good job of telling that story throughout the show. I thought it was a solid show coming off of Survivor Series. They continued a lot of storylines. Um, it's the first time they haven't had, you know, main roster talent there in a while. I'm going to be interested to see what the ratings look like, but I like the show overall. I, thought it, I, th- I actually thought both shows were really good. I'm probably going to give a slight edge to NXT this week, but uh, yeah, man, I like the show. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. And they built some really cool storylines that look forward to hearing. And there were some, some good wrestling. And also I got to see Keith Lee launch Adam Cole, which was fucking awesome. That's like, <laughs> that was my favorite thing of the entire night. I don't even know how they pull off that pounce thing. Keith Lee is so fucking strong. Holy shit. All right, well, let's uh, let's try to get this uh, AEW show done in the next 20, and I think that we can definitely do that. We'll see. All right, so we had Chris Jericho opening up the show uh, for his Thanksgiving celebration, hosted by Soul Train Jones. I'm going to laugh throughout the course of this whole entire thing. Uh, featuring a marching band, coupons for 50% off, or no, 50 cents off, a Jericho T-shirt, an appearance by uh, Chris's father, uh, hockey legend Ted Irvine, and a goat named uh, Trish, Chris Jericho, who was not having it when Jake Hagar brought him out. Um, just, this was fucking hilarious. Uh, so basically what happened was throughout the course of this is Chris Jericho was just praising himself and his group as the greatest ever. Um, I mean, this had so many kind of parallels to other stuff with Chris, especially the festival of friendship. Um, I love how Ted Irvine, I, they were in Chicago and he, I believe Chris, uh, he played for New York. Cause he was like, yes, he said, he, you know, he was on the Rangers. Yeah. He, he was a New Yorker Ranger pretty much. Mo- I would say most, almost his entire career. He's kind of known as a, a Rangers legend. There's some, uh, he, 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 Chris Jericho puts him over way more than he was as a player, but yes, he was a Ranger. So obviously, it's a what, what's called an original six rivalry between the Rangers and the Blackhawks, uh, the original six hockey teams. Um, Rangers and Blackhawks being one of them. Obviously, uh, you know, Toronto, the Canadians, Detroit, and Boston; those are the original six. So they all have like what's called the original six rivalry. So that was easy to get the crowd uh, to hate him. He was actually the most hated man in the building. <laughs> towards the end of the promo i'm pretty sure <laughs> which i thought was kind of great uh and i i like i look i just like to think about like chris jericho coming up with this in the back he's like hey do you got you think you think you guys can get me a goat <laughs> like <laughs> that's <in> that conversation <laughs> you know what i mean 
think, think you guys can get me uh, it was awesome jericho's been incredible man he's on fire and i i do like him just randomly incorporating his dad because they're in chicago that was like this man jericho has been so great since going to AEW and them kind of unleashing the full echelon of what chris jericho can be I, i'm really enjoying his title run and i'm so glad i know as crazy as it sounds i'm so i'm kind of glad that pack didn't get that match with adam cole uh, that the original teased match and he had to stay in dragon gate because i don't know that we would have gotten uh this jericho title run yeah yeah well so justin roberts was called in kind of shane mcmanish like he was supposed to say something a certain way for chris jericho and he didn't do it, so he just had everyone just beat the crap out of uh, of Justin Roberts. And uh, this would kind of get SCU involved, who was uh, the marching band. And they started beating the crap out of Chris Jericho, setting up the ending um, of the night. But I thought, uh, like I said, this was a great way to start off things. I love just, like, the little thing, the 50 cents off uh, Chris Jericho T-shirts, like a promo code to get 50 cents off. Like, and Sultry Jones. Like, what the fuck? Oh, man. All that shit. They're so funny. Uh, but, yeah. That was the opening. Um, let's get to some of these matches. We had uh, Best Friends going against the Lucha Brothers. Uh, Orange Cassidy was in a turkey costume. I like Matt Morgan uh, on the podcast for uh, Wrestling Inc. He said he's a big uh, Orange Cassidy fan, and he was like, See, I just don't see him wanting to be in a turkey costume. It just seems like it would be way too much fucking effort for him to put on all that. So I thought that was a kind of a funny uh, way of thinking about it, but it was it was whatever. It was it was pretty funny and comical. Um, and he hit a crossbody at one point, causing a distraction. After said distraction, Trent hit the dude buster on Phoenix to win the match. I will say, and I do agree with a lot of people analyzing this, is that the newer people that have gotten involved with AEW and are watching the product that know of these guys and have heard of them outside of uh, WWE but don't really know Kenny Omega or the Young Bucks or the Lucha Brothers, some of the bigger names, I don't know why they have so many damn losses. And they kind of went over win losses later on, and some of them were kind of, huh, kind of made me question uh, a, a bit, even though they're obviously – just at the start, but they're going to be starting them over apparently from what Cody said in January. So kind of uh, confused on that a bit. Uh, but like I said, I, I would feel like the Lucha brothers, uh, the young bucks, Kenny Omega, you know, a lot of those guys would be getting a lot more wins uh, personally, but uh, best friends got, like I said, a win over the Lucha brothers from the distraction. And uh, yeah. what do you think about this match, Chris? I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was definitely just a Thanksgiving comedy spot. I didn't have a huge problem with it. I thought the in-ring work was stuff was was pretty good. Tremoretta's great. Like, I think he's very very underrated as a wrestler. Uh, I like Tremoretta a lot. The best the uh, the best friends thing is it's been fun so far. Uh, I don't have as many as much problems with the wins and loss records as the way they currently sit because, I mean, we're we've all, we're like what eight weeks in, nine weeks in. And obviously, they're trying to build up newer stars, um, people that are a little less known. Uh, and they had to get, you know, Moxley over. Um, and the Lucha Brothers, their losses have came from, you know, the Bucks. So they're continuing that food feud, and, and they know that they have that uh, in their back pocket. And none of the losses have looked 
they haven't looked weak in any of the losses. I think this would be the closest to them looking at like weak losing a match. Um, and they could also just be teasing dissension between Lucha Brothers. I mean, they may want those guys to wrestle singles, which I can see down the road. Uh, specifically, both Pentagon and Phoenix are great singles competitors as well. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't have a huge problem with win-loss records. I actually liked this match. I thought it was pretty fun. Uh, the show started off really, really strong, in, in my opinion, and it definitely was more leaning towards the entertainment aspect instead of having like uh, just an absolute banger of a match. Yep. All right, after that we had a tag match with uh, Bea Priestley and Emi Sakura going against Sakura Shida and Chris uh, Statlander. This is the first showing, I believe, of Chris Statlander. Uh, but Priestley distracted the referee, allowing Sakura to hit uh, Statlander with uh, her mic stand and cradle her for the win. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of go into this next match because this is uh, probably one of the bigger segments on here, and a lot of speculation has been put. But Cody was going against uh, local enhancement, Matt Nix. He won uh, with the figure four, which is weird because he usually does like a, a Indian Deathlock, uh, you know, a, vari- a variation of that. Uh, normally, but he won by the figure four, which both his father and Ric Flair both obviously did back in the day. After the match, Cody called out MJF, and uh, this is when you notice all of a sudden the ring, and something that happened on SmackDown as well with The Fiend, uh, a little chunk of it's uh, coming out, and these guys, all dressed in black, uh, emerge from underneath the ring, uh, and, oh, God, all right, so... The concept of these guys is interesting, especially based on the rumor going around. But I thought that the way that it was executed, I felt like from the commentating team, JR didn't know about any of these guys ahead of time. Because if you find out from JR, he usually doesn't like to know stuff. He wants to react when it happens. He said even back when he was booking, if he didn't have to know the ending situations of of stuff in the matches, if he wasn't producing it or whatnot, he would ask not to know about it. So you just had Excalibur reacting to these guys and he's saying they're it's it's the blade and the butcher and the bunny and it's like who the fuck are these and and who the hell are these guys and jr seems like he's trying to be like okay so are you going to tell us about him and this is not the first time this has happened uh you know his description even with the with the uh, dark order which man if they did those promos to build up to the dark order that they're doing now that are a hell of a lot more interesting with the whole cult aspect. I think it would have been more effective, but especially with these people, you know, you could have said since we, a lot of people that are wrestling fans know it. Oh my, that's Braxton Stutters and, and, and Braxton Stutters and, and, and Andy Williams. They've been a tag team right now and just been wrecking havoc. And now they're going by these, by the blade and the butcher. And who is that? Oh, that's Braxton Sutter's wife, Allie. She's the bunny rat. Like, just give some fucking knowledge of this. You can even bring up the fact that Andy Williams is the guitarist for a popular fucking metal band called Every Time I Die. Anything to give a relation. Or at least, why do you know them? Or at least, like, put on some speculation. I don't know. It just, it was really fucking confusing. You could tell the audience was like, what the hell is going on? And I don't need to see Cody get beaten up by everyone on a weekly basis as well. If this is leading, (laughs) if this is, if this is getting us to the introduction of Marty Skrull and the the element that 
you know, if you look at the masks, he always has those bird masks. They kind of look like a buzzard. Those are two B words if you want to use it for his fucking persona. But that he's behind all this, and this is him maybe showing up to help out Cody sometime on a future AEW against these guys and then going, oh, never mind, I'm the leader. You guys fucking left me at Ring of Honor. Not saying that, but you guys fucking left me to die, and I'm here to take this back. And maybe since his, his contract is also up soon, you can get Brody King out of fucking Ring of Honor and bring him with him uh, to be, you know, the bruiser or whatever the fuck. I mean, whatever you want to call him. Uh, to be another arsenal within Villain Inc., if that's what they're going to call it, or some other faction. Now, there might be too many factions popping up, and I think that's what Chris, I think that's what you said. But I will say, this could be interesting. Or if they don't do that, I have no idea where the fuck this is going. So I'll admit, I was confused. I give a lot of shit to WWE for stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I thought Excalibur shit the bed when it came to commentary on what the hell was going on. What did you think of this introduction of the Blade, the Butcher, and the Bunny? I I agree with you. I think that the big the biggest problem here was the commentary and not being able to describe who these people are. And if you're in the building, you have no like I I barely know who these guys are as a tag team. So I'm assuming that a lot of people in the building were like, "The fuck are these guys?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, and they're just attacking Cody. So I, it's it's weird. I think you're probably spot on with it being Marty Skrull's little crew. It's I just get worried when we start seeing all these factions. Um, it it just inevitably ends up with three way tag matches, and I fucking uh, I don't need more New Japan three way tag matches. I hope that's not where this is going, but it kind of seems like where it's going. I hope they don't go the route as Marty's coming to help. Cody, like you were suggesting, just because that would make Cody look like the biggest dumbass ever. These guys dressed up in those gimmicks, and then out comes Marty with the mask. And like, <laughs> um, I don't know, man. Cody gets attacked by everybody. He is the, uh, he is definitely stinged right now <laughs> of this company. He's just getting jumped by everybody. Four Horsemen jumps him. Vader jumps him. That's basically that's that's how they're booking Cody right now, I guess. Uh, as far as the like, like like you said, the segment itself is confusing. There's not much to take of it. The match the match was fine for a, a squash match. Um, yeah, I, and it's like, is it a weird association with MJF too? That's the other thing because MJF like didn't he call out Cody prior to this jumping this beatdown? If I'm remembering right. Um, no, he. It would happen uh, a little bit later on, actually, uh, in a match that's coming up with him winning the uh, Dynamite Diamond Ring or whatever the fuck it was called. Um, okay, so that was later on. Okay, my bad on that, but uh, yeah, it was. You good? It was. It. It. The, the whole segment I agree with you is weird. All right, so let's move on. Uh, we had an awesome match, uh, the second match between the two, and you could tell that they kind of worked on this one, unlike the impromptu one they had to do before with Kenny Omega and Pac. And another person, they've been building Pac really well. They gave him a loss, which I don't think is too bad. But it's good to see Kenny get a strong win. And they had a fucking awesome match. Uh, Pac countered uh, the one-wing angel but got cradled uh, for the loss. A lot of, you know, I'm noticing a lot of cradled pins. But, you know, if, if it's not too much, it's not that big of a deal. But I thought this was a damn good match. And uh, we had the next match. Uh, the Dynamite uh, Diamond Ring match with MJF and Hangman Adam Page. 
This was a follow-up to the Battle Royal. MJF distracted the referee, allowing Wardlow to attack Page. MJF hit the crossroads to pin Page. After the match, Diamond Dallas Page presented MJF with a diamond ring and got into a pull-apart with those heels because basically uh, DDP called him out, didn't say that he deserved it, and, you know, being Mr. Babyface DDP, had no problem going right after Wardlow and also MJF. You know, I'm just saying, I know he's fucking old. He's getting old, but he looks great. He's obviously in great shape. I'd love to see DDP in one last match in some way. I know that's that's stupid maybe, but save it for a great pay-per-view. Build it up. He just looks like he still belongs somehow. Uh, and I want to say he's in the 60s. Like, he's way older than he looks. But, Chris, what do you think about these matches? And how do you feel about the ring itself being kind of similar to how Cody treated the Ring of Honor when he was in the Ring of Honor, which was a throwback from him to the millionaire belt that Ted DiBiase had in the 80s? Do you like that concept, or is it kind of meaningless to you with this whole entire thing? Kind of like the trophies in WWE. I really enjoyed the Omega versus uh pack match. I thought it was really, really great. I liked. I actually liked the finish just because it was a counter out of the one wing angel and then just an immediate cradle after that. It keeps pack strong, um, but also gives Kenny a strong win. So from a booking standpoint, I, th- I think it made a lot of sense. And it was easily the best thing uh, on the show, except maybe that Jericho promo, which was fucking incredible <laughs> for multiple reasons. Um as far as like the, the the MJF match, it was fine. I mean, it was a typical interference style match. I kind of wish it would have went a little bit longer and got to see Adam Page deuce more in the match, especially coming off the win at the pay per view. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, nothing really to write home about except for the the like you said with Diamond Dallas Page at the end um, and presenting the ring. Uh, as far as the ring goes, the ring itself, I don't dislike the concept of it it's it just depends on what they're it depends on how relevant it's actually going to be if they talk about it each week or if he's like putting it on the line and winning uh like they did with a million dollar belt then that makes it more intriguing but if it's just like uh like you said like a wwe trophy then like who cares um but yeah it's like a secondary thing people can chase besides the title i'm Besides the uh, heavyweight title, I'm I'm fine with it. Absolutely. All right, so we had Dustin Rhodes come out. He wants to fight Jack Hagar. He was attacked by the inner circle. And then Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson uh, came out, saved him, and they hit uh, a triple Shattered Dreams on all the heels. Uh, then this would lead to the WWE uh, – WWE, sorry, sorry. God, Marks is going to be yelling at me. AEW World Championship match. Chris Jericho going against Scorpio Sky and winning against him. Uh, it was a pretty good back-and-forth match. I wish that Scorpio got a little bit more shine, if I'm going to be honest with you, but it was still good. SEU was able to counter Jack Hagar, but Jericho was able to pin the match by submission, or was able to win the match, I should say, by submission with the Walls of Jericho, and then he kept the Walls of Jericho after the match uh, just to be a dickbag. And that was about it. Uh, Jericho beat Scorpio Sky. I uh, thought it was a pretty decent match. I want to see more of Scorpio in the future once the tag titles are off of him. But I think this is a good introduction and foreshadowing for the future of Scorpio Sky to be involved in the main title picture. And I like to see Dustin 
come out. I'm looking forward to seeing him in a Jack or Jake, I should say, uh, in a match. And I guess we're going to get more between um, LAX or formerly known as LAX and the Young Bucks within the future. How'd you like the ending, Chris? I like the match a lot. Uh, I, I kind of agree with you. I wish they would have gave Scorpio Sky a, a little more offense, but uh, it, as far as just a TV, like a, a TV AEW championship match, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I like that Jericho is winning with the walls of Jericho as well as the Judas effect. I think it gives him some credibility with different moves depending on the situation. I like that they've kept him strong. He only has the one loss, which was a pin of uh, pin by Scorpio Sky in a tag match. Um, so, I mean, I, we kind of knew going in that he was going to win this match. It was just how well they could get Scorpio Sky over. And I think they did a really good job with Scorpio's promo the prior week and uh, at the beginning of the show with the marching band segment that they did. Uh, and SEU being, you know, the tag champions, you're just assuming that this is going to build up heat between them and the inner circle, possibly setting up uh, the pride and the powerful or LAX. Uh, for a tag title match, since I believe that they're undefeated as well. So they could make claim for, at least in tag competition, I'm pretty sure they're undefeated. So I'm assuming that's where they're going to go with this storyline, which should be a good match. Hell yeah. Wow, I I just looked it up. He looks great for his age. Diamond House Page is 63 years old. Like... That's pretty fucking impressive. All right, so what I was saying beforehand, you might have answered it and I might have not um, heard it. Do you think that there is one more match left in DDP's uh, uh, body, like a retirement match or anything like that? Or do you think I, he's I think done? they're def- – no, I think that if he wanted to, he could probably have another match. I mean, Dustin's still out there wrestling. Um, so, yeah, I think he could do one more match, and, and maybe they're going to build to that, uh, I'm, you know, because they're going to have to have a team – Eventually, it's going to be inner circle versus the elite in some form or format. So you would think that uh, Diamond Dallas Page is going to be part of that match just based on the way they've been booking it. So I think it's very possible, and it would be a good send off because his run in W, uh, his run in WWF WWE uh, sucked was sucked was fucking terrible. He's like trying to kidnap slash rape Undertaker's wife or some shit. Like ah, it's fucking awful. So it's good to see him doing something better. Honestly, when, when, you know, WWE had Stone Cold, The Rock, and uh, whatchamacallit, Triple H, really holding it down as big members of their team, DDP was up there with Sting and fucking Goldberg as their main draws, and they just completely didn't do anything with them. It's a shame, but uh, even though he's 63, you know, I still think that DDP, especially based on what he does now, could have a, a nice little ending towards his career. And I'd love to see him pop up still like he keeps on doing. It's fun. All right. Well, uh, Chris, I think that's it. We got through another wonderful episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Thank you guys for listening to us. Uh, we're usually uh, every Thursday at 7 p.m. Uh, EST, and then we're also noon EST on Saturdays where we go over wrestling. Definitely check out Wrestling uh, Geeks Alliance uh, on all of your platforms. If you search Geek, if you search Wrestling Geeks Alliance on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, any of those platforms, you can find them. Or listen to us live at Blog Talk Radio. Go to our website uh, at uh, geekvibesnation.com for all of your news when it comes to uh, stuff 
involved with wrestling comic books. And you'll find uh, Geek Vibes Nation uh, links to our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, Chris, say goodbye to all the beautiful people. Goodbye, beautiful people. And uh, you guys have a wonderful evening, a good Thanksgiving weekend, and I am old. So, so get back to us and listen to us for another episode next week of Monday Night Raw. Peace out, guys. Geek Thighs be with you and peace out.